The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. podcast here on the two-man power trip over wrestling i am jp john pause from the two-man power trip and my co-host bringing him back yet again the infamous author and co-host of mine for the trump mania podcast he is of course lavi margolin lavi welcome back into our new venture the business of the business Thank you. I'm I'm so excited to be here. Um, this is something that I've thought about for a long time. I love to talk the uh, the pro wrestling business. Whether I was calling in uninvited to IATA with uh, Dave Meltzer 20 years ago, or talking on WrestleNomics, or writing articles about it, um, it's really such a pleasure to team up with you on this project and take a deep dive into the business of pro wrestling every week. This is going to be a very, very fun thing to do because people don't realize there's so much more than just wrestling and what goes on in the ring. I mean, there's there's so much economics and so many things going on behind the scenes that I don't think people are going to grasp. But maybe after listening to the show, they're going to grasp it a little bit better. And of course, like we did when we did Trump Mania, we break down each and every you know facet of the of the business, if you will. With him, obviously, it was it was a little bit different, but in the same vein, we're going to break it down. And really hit home a lot of the the points that you may not have heard before. You may have heard, but you haven't heard in such great detail. And maybe even some things you've never even thought of, you know, at all, we're going to bring to the forefront. So, Lobby, please just explain the essence of the business of the business. Sure. So we're in a great time for information, especially in pro wrestling. There are so many different news sites and podcasts. But what I found with the business side of wrestling, where we're getting more information than we ever have, um, is that people tend to focus on WWE and then AEW and some New Japan, rightly so, because these are the drivers. They're sort of um, the biggest players in the industry, but there's so many interesting, unique stories that make up the other part of the wrestling business that you know there's only so much time to do it, and we have the time, and we'll do it. So what makes this show so different? I mean, I know, but I would just want you to kind of get it out there to the fans of what makes us and business of the business different. Sure. So we're going to take a North American perspective on understanding the pro wrestling business. From time to time, certainly international stories will creep in. But we are looking high and low um, for interesting pro wrestling analysis stories and um, tidbits that give you greater insight into pro wrestling, whether it's 
um, a national promotion like an Impact, a Ring of Honor, an MLW, or if it's a local promotion, if there's something interesting that relates to greater insight into the business of pro wrestling, we're going to share it. Some weeks we'll talk, we'll have a, a major theme where we'll take a deep dive into one aspect of the pro wrestling business, perhaps have some additional stories. And other weeks, it'll be a series of stories that give us insight. And we'd love to hear from you. And at the end of the podcast, of course, we'll share information so that um, you can um, ask us questions and tell us what you want to hear about. The thing about the business, the business is I feel like so many people just focus on WB and maybe their stock and the different things, YouTube metrics and uh, the network. But we're going to do with. Um, a little bit of that. I'm sure we'll touch on that, but not as, as in-depth. I mean, we're really going to break down some of the stuff that you aren't familiar with that you should be coming more familiar with. I feel like WrestleNomics does a great job with a lot of their stuff, but we're going to kind of uh, break it off and, and just kind of do even more than that and really, really break down just um, the minutia of a pro wrestling. Right. So, um, you know, I had planned to, but I didn't have a chance to do it. I was going to take the Shane Douglas speech, when he converted the NWA title into ECW title. And he says, in the name of our fathers, Brandon Thurston, Mookie Ghana, and Dave Meltzer. Uh, but then I realized it was a very disrespectful speech. So I decided to scrap the whole thing. But but um, those guys are really sort of our, sort of like the pillars of, of getting information, deep dives into the industry. And there's so many outlets um, right now that do it so well as well. Wrestling Inc. and Post Wrestling come to mind as well. Um, but we're going to be sort of expanding out and taking a fresh perspective and sort of shining light on areas that, that don't get shined on. And for me, I love to geek out and like explore these areas. Um, I remember once in the Wrestling Observer, they showed like the top 10 drawing pro wrestling promotions in North America. And this was early 2000s. The territories were long over and Music City Wrestling was on there. And I was like, wow, you know, they're in the top 10. What does that mean? And I just wanted to learn more about it. And if you're somebody that would get excited in seeing a list like that, this podcast is for you. And for the two-man power trip, obviously, I've had you on before. I've had Brandon on, who was great. I've had Brian Alvarez on. I've had Meltzer on. So I like all those guys. I love the information that they bring. I think that they are an asset to the business. They really, really know their stuff. They really know their numbers. They are nothing but great. But this is just going to be something that we're just going to you know, expand upon and, and just add, add on to that and maybe talk about some different stuff that they maybe don't get the chance to talk about or maybe – they don't want to talk about it. so it's just something that's going to be for sure different than those guys but it's not to say that we're, we don't love those guys i mean uh, they are great and they really really know what they're doing I, I just love some of the breakdown when you look at some of the melter stuff it's like okay i don't care maybe about the opinions or if he likes the young bucks match or whatever i want to see how many pay-per-view buys it did i want to you know you want to delve into is trump like we've talked about many times is he a draw did he draw on tv did he draw on pay-per-view those are the kind of stuff that i'm just interested in and it's like oh wow it's like what sting and ddp wow they drew the last number that ever beat raw you know when when sting wins a title wow that was april of 99 and like it's just that kind of stuff i i love that kind of stuff 
yeah it's it's just like it's so much fun to really learn and sometimes like our perspective on what's what has been successful is different when we when we learn more and one of the earliest times i remember being fascinated with the business side of pro wrestling was wwf at the time would be so careful about avoiding showing empty seats in arenas that when i went to live shows i was surprised that it wasn't always sold out and then a few years later, the business was down in the mid 90s and you could actually see empty seats. So that was something that was like in the back of my mind. How is business? How do you get people to go to shows? What is success? And the thing that I always loved to read is like comp tickets. And I was like, comp tickets? What is he talking about, comp tickets? And then you're starting to learn like, oh, wow, they give away some of the tickets, you radio, TV promotion, you know, friends and family. It's just like, oh, wow. So it's sold out, 9,000 paid, but they gave away 1,000 comps. It's like, it, I don't know, it's just another fascinating, interesting part of wrestling that you don't even think about as a fan. Yeah, and I, I might be the only person that did this, but when I subscribed to WWF Magazine, every magazine actually has to have um, sort of a circulation record that they publish once a year. So I was fascinated looking at how many copies were sold a month, how many were given away free, like you mentioned, Like, and I, I would love to keep track of that. As far as kind of the business of the business, there's always kind of WB, AEW, being the, you know, basically the, the U.S., leaders and really the the world leaders along of course with new japan pro wrestling but when you step away from aew and wb and you look elsewhere who who's the big four who's the next four that come to mind you know you know you mentioned years ago you're like oh music city wrestling but who, who is it is it impact i mean who's kind of the, the next tier on the list the next top four after wb aew and, and even new japan so that's a great question and i really do see it as a a top four but it's not especially clear as sort of who is number three number four and and so on so i wanted to go take take a few moments and go through each one and sort of make an argument for each and kind of see what you think, see where, see where things stand. So firstly, of course, especially by um, its profile um, would be impact wrestling, of course, having been TNA um, for, for many years before. So it, although it feels like so long ago, it, and in some ways it, it was, we have to remember that as TNA on spike at its peak, they were drawing over a million viewers a week. And then sort of they kept cycling through uh, a number of different TV stations that were some, the first of which were highly distributed, but were lower rated like pop and destination America. And then, um, you know, landing on some Anthem, which is its parent company owned networks. Um, but then, Anthem um, and it's the owning family um, bought their own network where they made impact the key to that network. So of course, Access TV. Access TV in is, uh, is in about 50 million homes. For pro wrestling fans, it had been best known for airing New Japan Pro Wrestling. And in my opinion, that was really the driver of growing this network. Um, while most networks were contracting, Axis was actually growing in subscriptions a month. They're in um, 50 million homes. So about half of uh, subscriber homes that uh, uh, pay for cable, or actually a little bit more as less people pay for um, cable distribution these days. Um, so it was interesting because, for, at least from the stories that, that were out at the time, that 
Access said no to Impact Wrestling when they were airing New Japan. And Impact uh, Wrestling's owner was like, well, you'll say no to us. We'll buy the house and then we'll throw all of you out of their house. So I don't know if you'd say they got the final revenge or the last laugh or something, but they they spent the money to put themselves in the best position. And for years, there was this fascination of sort of what was New Japan drawing? And Access didn't subscribe to Nielsen. So we mentioned Dave Meltzer, of course, of the Wrestling Observer before. And he had about 200,000 once he published this in the Observer. And the, the station doing its own form of metrics, it was very unclear. But what's interesting is that once Impact, uh, sorry, once Access did join um, Nielsen, that we started getting ratings just a few months ago. I think the Torch came out with it first, and then a couple other outlets followed, and they're doing about 150 to 175 thousand viewers a week. So the New Japan number, it seems to be like that it was um, in line with things. Um, Impact is also distributed towards another company that they own called the Fight Network, which is much lower profile. I actually happened to get it on a additional subscription tier, which I don't pay for. But if I wanted it on my Altus or Optimum cable, I could actually pay for that. So actually similar to uh, being sports, which we'll get it to. Um, just to mention as well, in the Fight Network, which is very low distributed in the U.S., they carry a number of other um, wrestling uh, promotions, um, one of which is uh, Catalyst Wrestling. Um, okay, so that's sort of that's the argument for Impact Wrestling at the moment, that they have a single destination show that's fairly well distributed on a, what appears to be a lower rated network, but they're drawing 150 to 175,000. So we know their number, which we actually can't say for the other three. Um, and uh, something else to distinguish them is they're, of course, owned by their the company is owned by a, a television distributor. So they'll always have that access as long as everyone has those outlets. Ring of Honor is not dissimilar in that way. They're owned by Sinclair Broadcasting Group, which is best known for owning a variety of um, local cable, uh, local television over the air channel. So in Dayton, they might own the Fox and ABC affiliate. In um, uh, Milwaukee, they might have um, uh, the WB or, you know, something like that. Um, so um, I'm WB. I don't even know if that's around. Uh, so um, what they have is they have a pretty wide reach. So they're on 191 television stations, uh, the, the company, 607 channels in 89 markets. So basically what that means is that usually there's like, let's say there's an ABC and then um, there's digital channels. So if you have like... Um, uh, an antenna, you could watch these channels um, through your antenna. Um, and then they are distributed, their main point where they're most distributed at a certain time and date is on stadium. Um, stadium, you know, is a little bit unclear how much penetration that they have. Um, because when you look at something like rabbit ears, it shows that they're in about 51% of the US, but the truer number, which Sinclair actually utilized 
when doing a recent deal with a, uh, a casino company for sponsorship, they're in about 19 million homes. So a little bit less than, than be in sports, but I think lower rated. Um, and um, they're also on what were previously known as the Fox Sports networks. Um, these are a variety of channels, let's say like again in, in Ohio, um, let's say the Indians are on um, that Fox Sports channel, they have to program it um, you know, at other times. So sort of like Ring of Honor is, is put on these stations. Now, what's the aggregate of all of this? Who knows, right? Like, so what, what the common thinking is, or sort of like what the guesstimate idea is that, like, if it's on ABC after a football game in a mid-tier market, you know, people might be watching, but how engaged are they? But if it's on a digital channel, you know, is that even measurable? So it's it's wide, but it's hard to tell sort of how many people. I'm imagining there's a good amount in total, but how many are actually engaged and, and passionate about the product? Uh, Brandon Thurston, which we talked about with WrestleNomics before, um, his um, uh, he does uh, regular um, like Google searches, uh, Google search analytics. Um, I'm sure he searches Google as well, but he does analytics. And um, he found that the searches for Ring of Honor are minuscule compared to other companies. So how much actual buzz is there for the company? Um, the next is Major League uh, Wrestling. Uh, my friend and yours, of course, Court Bauer. Um, and um, the... They're distributed through BN Sports, which is interesting because that actually means two domestic networks. BN is very big internationally. I don't think that, uh, and we're not going to talk international today, but um, I don't think that they're on any BNs international, although MLW is on internationally. Um, but in the US, they're on two domestic stations, BN Sports and BN Sports Espanol. So, um, but both of these networks um, have lost distribution and sort of distribution fights before, and their distribution has gotten lower. So it might have been mid-20 millions before in distribution. Now it's like 18, 19, 20 million. So the numbers are low, but the, you know, the station does appear to have confidence in them at certain points. They will run the programming a number of times. And right now, MLW just returned to running new programming um, and um, it airs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. When you look at the, um, the top 150 um, cable networks, um, uh, you know, of, of how many people are watching, it doesn't appear in the top 150. So, of course, we have to assume the number is, is small, especially as compared to that. Um, and the next um, and the final argument is for uh, championship wrestling from. So uh, we, most of us know it from Hollywood. Of course, Dave Marquez, um, uh, whom you've interviewed and um who's had a good presence on your, your programming um, uh, over the years. Um, they're, uh, they're sort of like that, the little engine that could success story. Um, you don't see, and we'll get into this later, you don't see as much sort of like one-off syndication or, or distribution now as much as you used to, but they sort of, they're in a number of large markets over the air. In some ways, 
uh, in some larger markets than even Ring of Honor. Uh, but a lot of their distribution is sort of, um, you know, on stations that, um, you know, may not even rank in Nielsen or it would be very low, like like a Z Living, which I get. Um, so I DVR their programming when it runs. But overall, they're in about 130 markets. So they're distributed widely. They have some very important stations, of course, in L.A. and, and Houston. Um, but overall, I would say the, the numbers are... Um, are lower, but they're in a number of markets. Um, and recently, the last few years, I think starting with Memphis, they have had a very interesting idea where they sort of take the content that's for the national Hollywood show and they sort of retrofit it towards a market. So they may have local hosts or sponsors in Memphis or in San Francisco sort of to, to rebrand the program and to um, get penetration in those markets. The thing is that there's so many pieces of the pie, but they're all so much smaller, right? I mean, it just seems like there's so many different wrestling shows and outlets out there, but none of them have big traction. Like Impact Wrestling used to do a million. They're only doing 150,000. I mean, it just seems like so many less people are watching wrestling now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like it felt like before AEW and before I, I kind of actually sort of market more towards like all in, even before there was an AEW, like people were trying to figure out what's the, what's the secondary brand, what's the alternative brand. So you had some heat on um, new Japan. You had some on ring of honor. I think impact was sort of teetering at, at that point, even though it might've been widely distributed, but sort of like, once AEW came out, I think it sort of took a lot of the heat off the other promotions where like you're like, clearly WWE in the US is number one. AEW clearly is number two. And then you have these other uh, niche brands. As far as WWE, it feels like, you know, they're really struggling, not doing that well. I guess on average, you would say 650,000 people watch NXT, probably 1.7 million for Raw, probably a little bit over 2 million for SmackDown. Is Would that all be accurate? Yeah, that sounds uh, around the um, the right number. So I, I think it's, it's um, you know, a couple of things that, that sort of relate. One is sort of the ability to to watch programming in different ways. Like a lot of people consume something like wrestling now on YouTube or they stream it or they DVR it, although plus two. So if you've watched it on DVR and your, your home is sort of um, monitored, then, then that would count in, in the rating. Um, but at the same point, um, some live sports hasn't gone down to that degree or, or has maintained. So I think sometimes that's an excuse, but I think it does make sense that people are watching less television, but at the same time, as the pie is being split more, those programs that can draw destination viewers, especially live, um, have more value. So even though, you know, years ago they could draw three, four, five, six million, um, the value that you can draw out of it now is more because the networks need it to sort of anchor their programming or help their overall ratings. With kind of AEW being out there, but averaging probably around 800,000 per week, does that hurt or help the other companies as far as like trying to build their audience? Because it seems like if AEW, the hot new young thing is only drawing 800,000, that kind of doesn't sound good for the the rest of the rest of the group because there's going to be you know that that small pie that we're talking about 
kind of hard to um, gain some traction. I feel like if AEW starts getting more fans, getting into the millions, then those other small companies will start gaining some traction as well. Right. So it's interesting, like like as Brandon had had written once, there is no mainstream wrestling now, right? Like, you know, in the in the 80s or the early 90s, certainly, and then the late 90s, um, you know, kids would talk about it on the playground and sort of like it would like there would be a buzz. Now, like this world is so niche, like, you know, in a variety of industries, right? Like you can love anime and there could be like a top anime company, which I wouldn't know about, right? Because I don't follow that. But like, it's not necessarily mainstream, right? So like there's WWE is the leader of this sort of niche industry and AEW is clearly second. But I think AEW succeeding is a good thing because TNT is such a um, high profile network and they've renewed them for a number of years so sort of like when you look at it as a television programmer you might say yes that they're not drawing um millions and they're kind of comparable to what ecw was drawing 20 years ago on tnn or maybe even a little bit less at points um but there is something here and i've actually been shocked that new japan wasn't picked up by a niche channel. I'm not saying a big channel, but a niche channel because they, as as I see it, I think that they were really a driver of bringing a buzz to access. Like if a wrestling show is good, if it has something to it, um, which you know sometimes that's the case with Impact, sometimes not. I don't want to offend any fans, depending on what you like. But if it does have a certain buzz to it, people will talk about it. So, like for example, um, I have Google keyword alerts for Be In, and they pay a lot of money for, or what I assume is a lot for certain high profile soccer programming. So, or, or football. Um, so that, that comes up in the search results, but if it's not that most of the time it's MLW. So there's something about pro wrestling. If it's sort of at a certain level, if there's a certain coolness to it or a certain buzz that no matter what network you are, it could draw viewers to you. People will like search it out and, and go and find it. With New Japan, and like you said, it possibly was doing like 200,000 viewers, so it was doing more than current impact. What was the deal? Couldn't they have brought and had New Japan and impact on access, or that wasn't ever going to be the case? I forgot exactly how it played out, but I think there was sort of like a, a certain offer to remain for a certain amount of time or to, to play ball in the right way, and I think New Japan tried to play hardball and, and lost. So I, the door was open for something, but they played their hand too much and lost as far as I, I remember that. So there was that opportunity to remain on. But look, um, wow, right? Women women of wrestling. Um, I don't know what range they were doing there. It was a very different product, but you know they tried to play ball. I think the impact executives or the access executives went to their taping after the company was was oh, was bought and uh, after the station was bought and i think that season aired if i'm correct but they didn't remain they weren't renewed for another season from what i understand so like even if you played ball it might have come down to you know uh, access and and anthem sort of wants properties they own they paid a lot of money for this product and that was what they're going to promote with 
all these other promotions. I mean, we mentioned WWE, AEW, Impact, ROH, MLW, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Who are some other ones that that are kind of on TV? Um, could be, you know, CMLL. Like, who are some other wrestling promotions out there that can be seen on American TV? Right. So the three others that I see sort of having, you know, a distribution that I wouldn't say is wide, but sort of is broad that they're sort of like outside of um, just uh, just one um, one particular region. CMLL, so they have um, uh, one station, I think it's called LATV. And, you know, on their website, they list about um, that they're in 30% of, of U.S. homes. So uh, the fact that I wasn't aware of it when doing an extensive search until just a few weeks ago, I don't know, you know, if that's a something, if I need to be aware of it for it to be impactful. I certainly don't. Um, perhaps, you know, if you're in the target market, certainly that it reaches out to, it might be a very meaningful station for you. So I don't want to sort of dim it in that way, but it's certainly not. Um, the highest profile. So I would say sort of like once you emerge out of this top six, then the other three are sort of like around um, around the same thing. So OVW has really like good for them. They've really like they have their Louisville um, market, you know, for years and years. Al Snow and his partner um, have, uh, you know, really pushed out with not only their training school, but their television distribution. So they're on Game Plus TV, which has some U.S. Um, distribution, and um, you know they're on uh, U2 America. Um, that was um, previously America One. Like they've been, that's like they're sort of um, uh, a collect. They program low power A stations, or like what would be more like digital tier now at the moment, um, which actually have sort of grown in profile because of like digital distribution. Um, but for years and years, they've had wrestling on for as long as I can remember for the last 25 years from ECW to USWA and on and on and on. And now they have um, uh, OVW and championship wrestling from, from Hollywood as well. And um, WWC um, has some um, distribution in a U.S. arm of a uh, Puerto Rican um, television network. So those are the ones sort of like with the highest profile. And then I've, I sort of tried to do a comprehensive guide to pro wrestling in the U.S. Um, and I'm sure there's some that were off my radar. And it's always a moving target. A company comes, a company goes. And certainly with the pandemic, this might have changed. But I can go through um, some of those now. Um, one thing to note is that um, Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment is going to uh, be distributed soon um, through a, a digital um, station as well. So, so that would be sort of like for the new year to to consider and add to the list. But um, just to um, think about some of these other uh, companies. So again, we mentioned the championship wrestling from. So there's. The one presented by Pro Shingle, which is um, in Memphis, they also um, distribute on the same network, or they have distributed Jerry Lawler's classic Memphis wrestling. I'd love to watch that, you know, every week. Mm -hmm. um, championship wrestling from Arizona, and so on. Then there's um, Burt Prentice, who's been around forever, um, talking about Music City wrestling, right? Um, so he had programmed that, and then. Um, 
Uh, he worked with uh, Bill Barons, who had started Wildside. Um, so he's on right now uh, TV, and then he has programming uh, on WTNB out of Cleveland, covering uh, 14 counties, and WBBJ in Jackson. That's his, um, that's his uh, sort of home base. Um, he actually has an interesting um, position there, which is... Um, he tapes out of um, an arena there. So sometimes they'll have like Studio A, they call it. And then um, once in a while, he'll have in this old Memphis territory sort of arena, um, big shows like uh, when Terry Funk was wrestling, certainly Jerry Lawler is, uh, appears to be a friend of his. So he's he's on their, their programming. Um, so then there's others, um, Wildcat Pro Wrestling in New Orleans, American Wrestling Federation in Minneapolis, Powerbomb in Toledo, Ohio. Rocky Mountain Pro has uh, is also on Right Now TV, um, and they've done a good job of getting themselves out there. Appalachian Mountain Wrestling in their territory in the Appalachia, of course. Um, I'm going to keep pronouncing it in different ways so I get it right. Uh, but they're, they've gotten some good distribution for themselves on Hometown 24, EKB TV, WYMT2, Heroes and Icons, uh, World Class Revolution Pro Wrestling in Waco, Texas, Continental Championship Wrestling. I'd assume that um, that they might not be airing new programming right now, but they were on in Dothan, Alabama, but you'd have to check. Empire State Wrestling, so I'm going to drop another Brandon reference. He is also wrestles for them. So they are on WBXZ in Buffalo, Thursdays at 8 p.m. Um, World League Wrestling, of course, um, the late Harley Race. I believe his son is is running it now. They are on KMIZ. I feel like uh, a radio DJ. Uh, <laughs> New <laughs> South Championship Wrestling on WBKO in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Smash. Okay, so then we talked about um, uh, Fight Network. So Smash Wrestling, which is a Canadian promotion, so they are on the Fight Network. We talked about Catalyst Wrestling, which airs on the Fight Network. Um, ECPW Adrenaline TV airs on several New York and New Jersey area cable systems, so that that might reach you. Um, and we talked about um, uh, World Wrestling Council. Now I have the, the name of the program and um, station in front of me. So uh, excuse my pronunciation. Super Estrellas de la Lucha Libre on WAPA America on Saturday afternoon. So I'm sure there's a few more floating in and out. But uh, even though I named about 20 more, so there's about 25 promotions, I kind of considered that a low number compared to what I was expecting to find. And that is, of course, the Comprehensive Guide to Pro Wrestling on U.S. Television at Lion Club excuse me, lion cub jobsearch.com. You can find all that on there just in case you couldn't keep up with all that information. Just to want to throw that out there. So another thing I wanted to bring up was AEW. They have supposedly this extra hour that they keep kind of, you know, vaguely referring to there's going to be an extra hour of TV somewhere. Is it TNT? Is it CW? Where is this other hour of TV going and what is it? Where's it going? Do you know any more about it? 
Right. So, you know, all indications are that we'll be on TNT. And if a big network like TNT wants to pay you for another hour, great. You know, everyone is happy. So, of course, before I dated myself and I said the WB, the WB never uh, does not exist. It had existed. It merged with UPN. It's now called the CW. Um, so they sort of absorbed the bigger um affiliates, you know, that the two had competed for in different markets. Unfortunately, you know, in, in this 20 or 15 year history, it hadn't really raised the ratings. So the CW with the outside of utilizing Warner properties, especially like the DC universe, like um, Green Arrow, um, of course, which we know from Cody Rhodes and Stefan Amel, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, you know, it's a fairly low rated network. So my sort of my idea, although nobody asked me, <laughs> is that I've been watching the Friday night ratings. Of course, how did I find myself there? Um, because, um, you know, to see how SmackDown was doing. But when I was looking at that and you look at the ratings online, um, SmackDown does like some people are like, well, we've talked about it, around two million. So at first we think, well, you know, uh, it's not so great, but sort of. For the demos, right, the 18 to 49, or um, I'd rather say that than 18 to 34 because I'm still in the wider demo <laughs> for now. Um, but when you look at, so they seem to be doing well, sort of like for what they are, right? But when you look at the CW, um, often their ratings are just like half a million in total. And when you look at the preferred demos, it's often 0.2. So like if you're doing a zero, right? Like even if you were to take dynamite and you put it on Friday nights, it's sort of like people are drawn to a network differently. Can it, I don't think it could do worse. I think it could do better. And what if you were to actually uh, put new programming on, then you could take the people that haven't seen the first run of Dynamite and maybe even do a comparable or maybe even a little bit better rating because it's on the network. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. I just feel like if they're going to do an extra hour, it just better not be a part of Dynamite to make it a three-hour show because that would just completely ruin kind of whatever momentum they had because you could see from raw which is just a steady decline with three hours each week i think that is a business nightmare yeah it seems like whenever that's been coming up that they've said no whether it's tony khan or cody cody rhodes and they're saying it's not going to be like their dark show which which i find fascinating that this YouTube programming keeps growing. And I think it's up to like 16 or 18 matches a week and it's three hours. So we'll talk about YouTube more at another time, but the sort of the simple format of just putting matches out there, um, kind of like maybe like a, a, a WCW Saturday night in its later years where, where it doesn't have much impact, but it's sort of, um, no pun intended, but it's, it's sort of like just more wrestling content. It seems like they're gonna come into it with a new concept. So that'll be something to watch. Now, with Ring of Honor, with everything going on with them, apparently they've bought Bally's or Bally's bought them. What is going on with Bally's and I guess really the name and the branding of it? Right. So Sinclair Broadcasting is an interesting company to watch. Um, for this podcast, we'll stay away mostly from politics, but they've sort of been under uh, sort of like on the radar more because they are they tend to be a very conservative network and they push 
certain agendas. So, but they're an interesting company to watch because they're always doing different types of unique business deals. So, um, from what I've read, um, in purchasing these Fox Sports networks, they started sort of um, uh, incorporated another company, which from what I understand, shields them from certain debt. But this company is sort of the most indebted like company in the U.S. now. So it's sort of like they took on this huge amount of debt with this expectation that, you know, they do well with sports rights. Then, you know, it seemed to be like a dying idea of like having to have a whole network that you charge people on cable for just to watch a couple sports teams when there's nothing usually appealing on at the other times. Um, but then the coronavirus hit and you had almost no sports programming to speak of at most points in the year. So um, so one of the things was a need to kind of go out there and help mitigate this debt. So they did a deal with Bally's. When it was first reported, it seemed like it would just be a rebranding. So they had to get away from Fox Sports because they're not Fox. So Apparently, they allowed them to keep calling themselves that for a while, but now it's going to be called something like Bally Sports or whatever, Bally Sports Ohio or whatever it is. Um, so they're paying, so Bally's is paying them for sponsorship with that, but there's more like there's a commitment with advertising, ad spend, there's the ability to um, own a percentage of Bally's. So it's, it's somewhat complicated, but it's interesting, sort of like, does that trickle down to Ring of Honor? Um, first thing I was joking was, of course, will there be a reprise of the wrestler, the gambler, or Vinny Vegas? <laughs> but also, it'll be interesting, like, Ring of Honor has gone to Vegas before, and they've done shows in casinos. So will they sort of look at maybe what, what ballrooms does Bally's have and sort of like, do they brand that into their circuit? Or, you know, will we start seeing more Bally's advertising? So it's always interesting when this huge parent does something, how does that trickle down to its children? Most of the time, Ring of Honor is, is off the radar, but benefits. So like when they buy networks, Ring of Honor is programmed in somehow, and they get to keep from, Joe Coff had talked about this on Eric Bischoff's podcast years ago, um, they get to keep a certain amount of advertising time that they can sell. So from what I understand with like the parent to the child, so when they're on the different networks, they retain this advertising time and that's the money they get from the show as opposed to like, you know, uh, a straight payment. Although I'm sure that their production fees are, are covered. Sinclair Broadcasting, known as being the largest and most diversified television broadcast company in the country today. Do you agree with that? You think that's true? Hmm. Uh, I think for what they are, sort of like a... Somewhat. I don't even know if they are. They're, they're kind of like unique in themselves. Sort of like, um, like I remember when USA and, and TNN were, were bidding for WWE rights. It was sort of like um, for USA to maintain those rights, they had to match the deal. So, but like TNN was part of like a bigger conglomerate, so they could do things that were unique. So you can't say it was apples and oranges. So they're very large in that they own a number of affiliate networks, although I believe other organizations own more. They're very large in that they own a number of um, sports networks on cable. They own the most right now, but what does that really mean? They have a number of digital stations, but 
who are really watching those. So like in aggregate, they're a big company, but I wouldn't say they're they're bigger than um, other huge media conglomerates. So what about with ROH going on STIR? Like how does that affect Sinclair and what is STIR? S-T-I-R-R. Yes. Um, so uh, great question. I actually listened to an hour interview with like the, the person that runs STIR. I don't know if he's considered the CEO, but it was actually a fascinating interview. So STIR is a over-the-top network. Um, I'm not sure if they define themselves like that, but sort of like um, not exactly like a Netflix or like a Hulu, but their base is that they plug in locally. So when you get Stir, the first things that will come up would be the comp the stations that Ring of Honor owns. So like if you're in New Jersey, whatever, uh, I don't think they actually own anything in New Jersey, but if they did, um, whatever affiliate they'd have, that would be the first thing that would appear on Stir. Um, so that's like their base, but then they build out from it. They have like, at this point, I think tens of networks that, um, that are programmed linearly 24 seven, sort of like the same thing. If you turn on your cable TV or you look in a TV guide, you see, okay, it's not just on demand, but what's on at 9am, what's on at 10am. So for years, I've been waiting for Sinclair to say, here's a ring of honor network. We have digital space. So here it is as a digital network and it'll be distributed over the air. They haven't gotten there yet, but they did say in their press release that this Ring of Honor station will be distributed by stadium, which I'm fascinated by to see if there'll be a, an over the air Ring of Honor station. I'm kind of getting away from the main part of the story. But so STIR now has a Ring of Honor station. So it's programmed 24-7 and you can go on and um, watch Ring of Honor. I think that the the person that runs STIR said that there's about a million people that sort of are, are active on STIR. So uh, how many of those people are interested in watching wrestling and Ring of Honor wrestling? Uh, you know, if it's um, a million, right, uh, not so great at math, but let's say 1%, is that a 1,000, right? So if a 1,000 people are watching Ring of Honor on Stir, that's interesting, but sort of like utilizing this program and thinking of Ring of Honor as a network is most interesting. But Stir is an interesting, like non-traditional type of company also. So I was, I watched closely for this type of news and uh, it's not exactly wrestling related, but it's kind of funny that they started a horse trading network so like you Whoa. know like you have like auctions where you're like you know like wherever like and horses are, are a valuable commodity so they have a network that's all about horse trading so it was fascinating because i was curious like what is this and how did it come to be so in this interview he talked about it, that there's a horse trader that sponsored pro um that pays you know to advertise in oklahoma and texas or wherever and they all offered him to say like hey do you want to paid to have a a network on here so that he's like sure so, so now they for seven horse trading network so i'm curious if they'll ever reveal to us who's watching more ring of honor or horse trading <laughs> yeah really i mean that just seems like really odd but how does that affect because you know you have roh world which is available online and on demand and then you obviously the sinclair broadcasting does that affect that at all or are they just trying to add additional it, it almost seems like that might take away a little so it's additional. So like the way I would think about it is that you have like, you have the first ROH show 
Um, so that's like, that's, you know, over the air, you know, it's free. Then you have the RH world, which is the premium content, the pay-per-views and, and archives on demand. And then the, the network show for lack of a better word is, is more just program 24 seven. So if you did it right, you should be able to promote, you know, and if this was of scale, so let's say it did become an, an over the air network that had a decent amount of viewership, you should be able to promote the first run of the programming at the local affiliate. And you should be able to promote the premier programming of ROH World. Right now it's too small to do that, but sort of like I could see this as being like the first like a test to do this on a wider scale. So with Ring of Honor having a basically their own TV channel, you're saying that's not just going to be a pipe dream anymore. Yeah, so I've been watching this closely for a number of years. It just seemed obvious to me with Ring of Honor creating um, or partnering on a number of digital networks. So um, they are, they're actually, they own sort of the, I don't know if you'd say IP or the technology, but it's something called ATSC 3.0, where you can actually take a, you can take, let's say you own the ABC affiliate. So there's a certain amount of bandwidth where right now you can then create a channel like uh, if it airs on channel four, you could have like a channel 4.2, 4.3, 4.4, 4, 4.5. Sometimes what they'll do with that is like, it'll be like the weather person will have their own channel or um, you could run like reruns of the honeymooners if you have the rights to those. But um, in other circumstances, there's national programmers that you tie into. So like, like a, a comet TV, or, um, you know, or, or a charge TV, all stations that do air or have aired um, Ring of Honor programming before. So with ATSC uh, 3.0, you take that bandwidth for four or five networks, and now you can actually triple it. So suddenly you have 15 networks on what used to be just one station. So I was thinking, well, you know, Sinclair's looking for more digital networks. They have... 20 years of Ring of Honor content, uh, maybe only the last 10 years is sort of like already primed for airing because that was something that they produced. The other stuff would have to be cleaned up, but that would be pretty easy to program 24 seven. And now they're actually showing, you know, that they can do that through start. As far as kind of getting onto YouTube and we we're talking about a lot of TV and all the service stuff. YouTube has become a big time hotbed for wrestling has been for years. WB is obviously killing it on there. Uh, AEW and being the elite has been doing very well on there. What about MLW? I know you were talking a little bit with Cord Bauer about this and kind of having a little bit of back and forth. What about MLW's YouTube numbers? How are they doing? Yeah, I'm always excited when when Court checks in. Like I, I I know he's looking at my stuff because I don't tag him, and he, he usually has something to say, which is very cool. You know, um, to um, to interact with the different movers and shakers in the industry. So something I had been watching with, or have been watching with MLW, is sort of their journey with YouTube. So um, at a certain point. Uh, um, it seemed like Court was tweeting that sort of like that they would be not completely moving away from YouTube, but sort of like emphasizing it less because there was better ways of distribution or maybe better ways of monetizing it. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but that was the general sense that I was getting. So like at a certain point, I think a lot of content had disappeared from YouTube. And when I went to Social Blade, 
Thank you, Brandon, for introducing me to this uh, idea. Um, you know, once you open up a rabbit hole for me, like I had to check every wrestling promotion. And the one um, maybe six weeks ago that had been down huge was Major League Wrestling compared month to month. Because as you'd imagine, if you start removing programming, then, you know, your numbers will be down. But then uh, a few weeks ago, the programming migrated back. And now when I look at their numbers, their numbers are up huge, right? So it's um, so this is their stats. So for the last 30 days, their video views are up 918%. If my stocks were up like that, I'd be retired, right? <laughs> I would still do the podcast, but I would retire. <laughs> so uh, 1.884 million views and their subscribers are up 263%. So you can see sort of like with putting content, removing content, how much like the numbers can swing. But I think next week we should really delve deep into YouTube, what what drives it, how, you know, 25 promotions are doing on there and really get a sense of what's going on. With YouTube, and, and it's funny because it's like, okay, MLW is doing this number, they're doing that number. What is like the general thing for overall wrestling that is getting people to watch wrestling on YouTube, like the, like the genre, not not necessarily like MLW, WWE, but the genre. Sure. So, just some hints for next week. Um, what I found that really drives wrestling on YouTube, and this will surprise some people. First is intergender wrestling, and I don't want to get into something that sounds weird here. <laughs> but I've noticed that if it looks like it'll be especially violent or off of center, then the video will be more popular. Um, I know that kind of sounds heavy, but but um, so that's one thing. The other is women's wrestling. So when women are involved in wrestling, although uh, certainly with WWE from mainstream and from an athletic perspective, um, that's really popped and we saw with Impact from years ago. With YouTube, it might be a bit of a different story, but that's what I've really seen. And a reason to tune in next week, I will we'll give you what I think, what we think is the most watched pro wrestling match ever. And it falls into one of those two categories. Wow. Now, now I'm intrigued because I don't even know this answer. I am intrigued with this because that is a very interesting little matzo ball out there uh, for sure. I'm surprised to hear intergender wrestling. I'm surprised to hear women's wrestling just because if you look at like TV and stuff, that's usually not the stuff that draws on TV. Yeah, I feel like YouTube exists in its own ecosystem. Like it's not the same stuff that would be popular on independentwrestling.tv for a very niche audience or uh, maybe, f I, I don't know their stats, but uh, on a fight or, um, you know, something like that. I think like YouTube, it's easy to click around. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to identify yourself. Sort of like, and if you're able to build like sort of like you build the viewership so you can keep getting fed what you want to see and you know that builds on on each other as far as other things in youtube i always think are very popular which i always see on there getting huge numbers shoot interviews and anytime you're saying somebody's going to shoot on somebody where obviously they're going to have some maybe controversial comments maybe honest stories maybe drug stories maybe sex drugs rock and roll stories whatever it is i always feel like anytime shoot is out there like if you put rick flyer shoots on somebody like you always see those videos tend to get a lot of attention 
Yeah, and sort of like once you get into that, uh, um, you know, that role, sort of like, and it keeps going, and um, uh, you know, Brian Last is the man, uh, huge fan of the Six Hundred Five podcast. Um, the co-host with Jim Cornette. Now, um, <laughs> not going to delve into that. I know he said some things, some of which I certainly don't agree with. But like when I'm looking for something entertaining to listen to, like I could listen to Jim Cornette all day. Like that, that like role, like <laughs> mm-hmm. like five hundred of those five minute videos. Like yep. Yeah, I'm there for that. Like I'm, I'm like pumping away. I'm doing my Excel numbers, tracking data, and I just hear like about you know some car window getting smashed in eastern tennessee in 1993 i'm I'm there for that all day i feel like you could go down a rabbit hole of you know just type in jim Cornette shoots on there not even just the the brian last they'll pull up pull up his uh WB stuff um from 98 when he had those great shoots and like you know anything jim Cornette shoots it's definitely going to garner a lot of attention it's definitely going to do really well and i feel like I personally can go down those rabbit holes and just watch that all the time. And some of the most fun ones, like, but you have to like sort of have the patience for it. Yeah. Are like the really unprofessional ones from back in the day. It's like somebody, I don't know what, what the story was, but maybe they told Kevin Nash, I'll pay you, but also give you lunch. So he was like, maybe he was like, okay, we'll do both at the same time. <laughs> and he, he's like, he, they have him on video and he's like eating a salad while he's like answering questions and his mouth is half full. But like the answers are interesting also. So like you feel you're a part of something unique. With those two, you always see you know, maybe alcohol or something next to them. You know, something to get them to open up and, and mm-hmm. talk and maybe not tell some stories that they would normally tell and you know, maybe get them to open up just a little bit more and expose some things or maybe bring up some controversial topics to definitely get some clickbait going on. Yeah. If you could put in your headline, you won't believe what happens next. Then, then you're golden. You got to love the business too, because when you think about it, Orange Cassidy for a while on TV wasn't really getting strong numbers, even though Jericho was saying they're still winning the demos, they were losing consistently on his, uh, quarter hour rating so then you go over to youtube like we're kind of saying it's a different world over there and he's got like the most youtube likes and then pro wrestling tees is saying oh he's the number one seller for the month so it's just like wow it's you know it's certainly a different thing it's almost like tv used to be the end-all be-all or you know pay-per-view buy rates used to be the end-all be-all not anymore it's like you gotta look into the nitty-gritty you gotta check pro wrestling tea sales you gotta check their merchandise store sales you gotta check uh, which is pretty crazy twitch and all these other places but youtube definitely has something where it's like wow that is like you said a beast onto itself where the numbers can definitely be way higher on youtube and they're like wow but the guy doesn't get any tv viewers nobody's watching my tv well they're sure as hell watching them on youtube yeah, I think um, one of the things is that AEW plays Moneyball, and they have one of the best people from pro wrestling to do it, who's the vice president, Mookie Ghana, um, of, of formerly of WrestleNomics, the founder. Um, and, you know, he loves these analytics, and, you know, I'm sure that that hadn't passed him by of looking at sort of YouTube numbers and sort of like how everything plays in and not just looking at, like, Nielsen demos and getting the numbers. You know, if, if it's T-shirts that flow through AW, then getting those numbers and kind of seeing like what's the overall ecosystem and sort of like how do things play in and who's most valuable to the company and you know how that might play into visibility in the future and uh you know they got all these third party things now where like we've we've seen from zelina vega aka um 
um, Tia Trinidad, she's making more money on Twitch and OnlyFans and all this other stuff than she was making in WWE. So that's something that's different as far as the business of the business is concerned too, because it's like, wow, you can make more money away from WWE doing what? You know, sitting at home and creating a fan base and only charging, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is a month, but you get thousands upon thousands of people that are subscribed to you. And then you have this fan base that is yours and your own and you get able to kind of harvest that and grow that but you can make a ton of money doing all those other things yeah like um you know one of the things for wwe was that you know they owned your brand now now sometimes they, they still try and do that or, or do do that but it's it's getting harder and harder to do when mm -hmm. there's so many different outlets you don't just disappear like wwf didn't even used to say anyone's name when they weren't part of the company or you know take them out of old videos and as much as they could but but now you sort of can build your own brand and you don't have to draw millions for the company if you're drawing hundreds of thousands for yourself and that goes directly to you after taxes um you're doing really well so i think somebody certainly that should get credit for building up brands like this would be Colt Cabana, his Art of Wrestling podcast. And I think the Young Bucks sort of credited him with, with sort of like, you know, building his own brand and, and inspired them of, of putting themselves out there. And I used to love to listen to that. There is, um, I don't know if they're still out there or you have to pay a premium to listen to, but there's El Hijo del Mickey Mouse. Um, he interviewed one week and it was just, I had no idea who the guy was previously, but it was just the funniest, most engaging interview. And Colt Cabana, like when he was I, in Ring of Honor, he was a very good wrestler. I just didn't get the whole song and, and character. And I certainly wasn't watching his WWE character, but like he found his niche and like owned it. And that, that really inspired, I think, future generations. As far as business of the business, like you said, next week we will be discussing the most viewed match ever in YouTube history and going into a lot of other YouTube-like topics, which I think is interesting because there's so much money to be made on there. Um, even if you go on to some of the shoot interview stuff, my buddy Hannibal, who does Hannibal TV, has 230,000 subscribers and is just killing it making money on YouTube with his shoot interviews and all his other interviews and stuff. Like, he'll do wrestlers, but he'll do, you know, UFOs, he'll do models, he'll do that. Like, they're kind of just a mma he'll do a lot of different things but it's just funny like wow youtube is could be a real real nice business to make some money away from wrestling and away from taking bumps and you know breaking your neck and things like that so just an interesting thing i will definitely get into next week now lavi please give us all your plugs including where they can get all your books great so Firstly, in terms of the, the articles referenced uh, today, or many of them, the ones that I wrote at least, um, uh, as you had said, lioncubjobsearch.com. You can just scroll through there. I'm a, um, like a career professional uh, by trade, so you'll see a lot of articles on interviewing and job searching, but um, I kind of got tired about writing about it, even though it's my profession. So, um, so I have a lot of wrestling content at the top, although if you are looking for a job or help interviewing, uh, my most popular book is called Winning Answers to 500 Interview Questions. I won't stop you from buying that. So that's where you can read the articles. Um, the, the other best place to find me is Twitter. 
um, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Um, every day I go through hundreds of Google alerts and I look for pro wrestling business stories and I share them with you, um, especially quirky ones that you won't hear about or you might hear about first. So for example, I just tweeted out today, Kenny Omega signed a supplement deal with a supplement company. So, um, you know, little things about how wrestlers are sort of um, making more money for themselves or things that drive the business. Um, sometimes before things are announced. So for example, before MLW announced that they were on Fubo. I found an article that mentioned it. Um, and then I tweeted that out. So sometimes I'll even beat the big news to the press. Um, every week I'll do a, um, uh, news stories you may have missed article. And finally, um, for me, and, and I'm sure uh, we could team up on this too, every once in a while I hear from wrestling promotions that are looking for um, consultants. So as you can hear at this podcast, we know our stuff. So feel free to reach out. Uh, tweet us, or um, you can email me, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G at lioncubjobsearch.com. Very good. And of course, for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. Lavi, do you have any closing words for the business of the business? Just, you know, the more that you learn about this business, um, especially if you like the business aspects of wrestling, the more you'll find and the more you'll be able to enjoy. And the thing that really took off for me is when I realized I could start doing my own research and compiling my own data um, that helped to build my own expertise and my own interests. And then I started sharing it with the world. So if there's something that you've always wanted to look into just start focusing on that area and you'll you'll be able to start finding something and make contacts and be able to share it with us nice i'd like to thank everybody for joining us here for the inaugural episode of business of the business we will see you right back here next week folks thank you and have a good one